Thank you, Pastor. Friends can carry on conversations about things that are non-negotiable and things that are negotiable. I said to Brother Gravely before the service, I said, here is a non-negotiable conversation. If I'm preaching with R.B. Willette and Brian McBride, I'm preaching first, <laughs> not after either one of them. Take the Word of God and turn with me today to Exodus chapter number 20, please. Exodus chapter number 20. By all means, keep your Bible open to this passage. You'll be familiar with the reading. In fact, the chapter you'll be familiar with this morning, pardon me, this afternoon. I want to read from verse number 7 of Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 7. I remember hearing about a man that uh, visited his doctor and the doctor told him, you need to come back in. We need to tell you about your reports. And when he got there, the doctor said to him, I have bad news and worse news. He said, oh my, my, I never heard it put that way. Uh, how could it be that? And he said, uh, well, which one do you want to hear first, the bad or the worse? And he said, well, just tell me the bad news. He said, well, the bad news is you've got 48 hours to live. And he said, what could be worse than that? He said, what's worse than that is we were looking for you all day yesterday. <laughs> so it can go from bad to worse, but I don't expect it to be that way in this afternoon service for sure. Let's read in the Word of God this afternoon from Exodus chapter 20, verse number 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You may be seated. As you know, the Ten Commandments are given in three places in the Word of God. In the 20th chapter of Exodus, verse number 1 through verse number 17, the chapter begins with these altogether common words. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. After that, chronologically, we read the Ten Commandments that are given to us through the hand of Moses recorded in Exodus chapter number 20. I won't ask you to turn, but in Deuteronomy chapter number 5, also in the writings of Moses, verse number 6 through verse number 21, with the exception of very minor alterations to the Ten Commandments, the same Ten Commandments are given in the same order, recorded by the same author, Moses, with the same motivations behind each one of the Ten Commandments. Those commandments were followed by the words of Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 6, where Moses was inspired to say, And these words, these Ten Commandments, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. The third location of the Ten Commandments in the Word of God is in the New Testament. Many do not know that the New Testament repeats nine of the Ten Commandments. The only exception is the commandment concerning the Sabbath because of the conversion of the Sabbath from Saturday to the Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week. 
I don't have the time this afternoon to give you all of the references, but the first commandment, Matthew 4.10, the second commandment, 1 Corinthians 10.7, on and on and on we could go. I assure you that nine of the Ten Commandments are underscored in the New Testament. God meant what He said when He said what He did in the Ten Commandments. The very fact that God would decree that His commandments be repeated three times in the Word of God, sort of, we've missed that in our churches. And these things seem to be elementary and they seem to be low shelf and they seem to be so low level that we often miss the emphasis that is woven into the Ten Commandments. Four things by way of introduction. Number one, the Ten Commandments recorded. They were written by the very finger of God. No other portion of the revealed word of God was recorded in such a manner. Only the Ten Commandments written on stone by the finger of God. Number two, not only were they recorded by the finger of God, but then number two, after Moses broke them, they were reproduced. You remember when he came off of the mountain in anger... And the Bible tells us he threw those two tables of stone down to the ground and they burst, they break. The Bible tells us that two more tables of stone were hewed and God once again recorded for history's sake the Ten Commandments. Recorded, reproduced, reinforced. They were written not on papyrus, they were written not on parchment, but they were written on stone because they cannot be bended, they can only be broken. So it is that God shows us in the very production of this work that the Ten Commandments were important to Him. Number four and lastly, for way of introduction, the Ten Commandments repeated. God inspired the writers of the Word of God to repeat them time after time after time. You'll find them quoted in the ministry of Paul. You'll find them quoted in the ministry of Peter. You'll find them quoted in the ministry of Christ. You'll find them quoted in the ministry of John over and over and over again. They are revived and given life in the New Testament to remind us that we are liable to these commandments. Most people have been led to believe that the Ten Commandments are separated five and five. As a matter of fact, for those of you that watched Moses in character of Charlton Heston, you probably still believe that. But it's not a five-five division. Rather, it is a four and six division. On the first table of the Ten Commandments, there are four. On the second table, there are six. And if that division sends a message to us, then we need to understand why is it four and six and not five and five. Well, it's very easy to surmise the reason why God gave us the commandments divided so. Number one, because the first four are vertical in their nature. These commandments, the first four, are in relation to God and man. In other words, in the first four commandments, you have a spelled out in the original law of Moses commandments that will make us right with God. First commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I wonder if God really meant that when he said that. Second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. I wonder if God really meant that. Is that up for discussion? Is that, is that negotiable? 
Third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Did God seriously mean what he said? Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All four of these have to do with my relationship to the Father. They have to do with a vertical walk. The last six commandments, of which I'm not preaching from this afternoon, are horizontal commandments. They have to do with my relationship to man. The Bible tells us in the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. The seventh, thou shalt not commit adultery. The, the eighth, thou shalt not steal. The ninth, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And the tenth, of course, thou shalt not covet. Now I remind you that Jesus said that all of this law hangs on only two commandments. Love the Lord, the first four, and love your neighbor, the last six. Jesus said, listen to me well, Jesus said all of the law and the prophets hang on only two commandments. You learn to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, Luke adds, with all of your strength, then you will keep the first four commandments unbroken. You learn to love your neighbor as yourself, you'll never be a murderer, you'll never steal a man's wife, hello Tokyo, amen, you'll never covet uh, you'll you never be guilty of stealing. Listen, the Bible tells us that the Ten Commandments are divided so for a purpose. And if they are divided so for a purpose, I would imagine that the first four fall under one category and the last six fall under another category. And in my mind, as I've read the first four commandments time after time after time, I think all of them prepare us for worship. Each and every one of them. God is saying to us in the first four commandments, if you are going to approach me in worship, these things must be in order. Each and every one of them must be set right in order for you to worship effectively. Commandment number one, no other gods. None. That doesn't mean that you can have a top 10 list of gods and as long as the true God is at the top of the list, everything will be fine. No, he shares his glory with no one. The Bible says to us in the prophecy of Isaiah 45 and verse 5, I am the Lord and there is none other God beside me. He demands that we worship him in one name and one name only. There are not multiple gods, only one God. And if you're going to worship God, you must take seriously, and this may seem elementary to you, but you must take seriously the elimination of false gods in worship. Number two, the second commandment goes like this. In verse number four through verse number six of the same chapter that we are reading from, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. This commandment is a prohibition of making images to God. We don't know what God looked like, so it would be idolatry to produce an image. If you try to make a stone God, even if you try to make an image to the true God, that becomes idolatry by vacuum. 
Even if, because we don't know what he looked like, we reduce the image of God down to our imaginations and check your Bible out. It never says one good thing about your imagination. The first mention of your imagination is in Genesis chapter number 6 where the thoughts and the intents of the heart, the imaginations of man and the thoughts and the intents were only evil continually. And the New Testament tells us we are to cast down imaginations. They're not good, they're bad. You try to imagine what God looks like and put it into a framed picture, that becomes idolatry. You try to imagine what God looks like and build a stone statue of him or carve a wooden statue of him, that in itself becomes idolatry. You have broken the second commandment. God is serious about this. Thirdly, verse number seven, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now remember, these first four commandments are all grouped under the heading of how we worship. I'll get to the fourth commandment here, in the third in just a moment in verse 7. Let me look again at verse 8 through 11 at the, fifth, the fourth commandment about remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I got a feeling I'm, I may lose some listeners right here, but God still means that. He still says there's a day that belongs to him. It doesn't belong to the NFL. It doesn't belong to NASCAR. It doesn't belong to MLB. It doesn't belong to family reunions. It doesn't belong to karate practice. It belongs to God the entire day. From the time you get up until the time you lay your head on the bed, you are not supposed to go to work. You're supposed to go to church. That is God's day. That's not your day. That is God's day. It's God's tithe, first 10%. It's God's day, the first day of the week. It belongs to him. I could show you in the Bible where our mornings belong to God. We seek him early. Listen, he demands that of us. He said, that belongs to me. I put my name on that day. And for you to misuse that day is to take my name in vain. The way you worship really does matter, doesn't it? God is intensely concerned about how we use his name. And the way his name was used by the children of Israel became a primary subject in the verse number 7 in the third commandment. I would remind you that the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 42 in verse number 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I give, will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. I'll take a few minutes this afternoon and show you three things about taking God's name in vain and the danger that is woven into the breaking of the third commandment. Number one, his name is used for identity. The reason it is so serious for us to take God's name in vain is because we don't know what God looks like. When God chooses to reveal himself to us, he reveals himself to us in a name. He doesn't give us a vision. He doesn't give us an image. Are y'all with me? He doesn't give us an image or a vision. He gives us another name. If there is an aspect of God's being that he chooses to reveal to us, he does so by revealing himself to us through his name. Let me give you an example of that. I'm rushing through this. Let me give you an example of that. One day Moses prayed and said, Lord, just show me your glory. I just want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to embrace it. I want this tangible experience of the glory of God. And you know what God said to Moses when he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. God said to Moses, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. But I'll tell you what I will do, Moses. 
I'll put you in the cleft of this rock and I'll pass by where you can't see me. And while I'm passing by, I will proclaim my name to you. (laughs) Moses experienced the glory of God in the name of the Lord. It's pretty serious to take that name in vain. Wouldn't you think so? When he said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, he was saying thus because it is important that name be kept holy and hallowed. When we pray, Jesus said we should pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It means something to God. How you use his name is meaningful to him. This is an emphasis here that is often overlooked in verse number 7. In fact, if you'll look back at verse number 7, notice what he said. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Listen to me and listen to me carefully. This commandment is not for the world. This is for us. I'm going to shock you when I make this statement. But taking God's name in vain has very little to do with cursing. Taking God's name in vain is much more serious than what is happening on the television. Taking God's name in vain has to do with how the people of God are using his name. And I'm afraid, Brother Gravely, that through the course of this weekend and into this day, God's name has been taken in vain in the very services of which we have sat in this camp meeting. Did you worship him when you spoke his name? Let me give you several thoughts concerning that. He's talking about people that have been that, that were there when God parted the Red Sea. He is talking to people that saw Moses' army perish in the same sea that they just crossed over. He had, they had seen the ten plagues. On and on and on we could go. And he is saying to them, all of that was for my namesake. When you use that name in vain, you are defying all that I have done for you. It is... The name of the Lord thy God that he identifies himself by. Number two, not only do we find that, the, that taking his name in vain is, a, is an issue of identity, but then secondly, his name is used in vanity. Now watch this in verse number seven. Let's do a little bit of a word study of these Old Testament words and, and sort of embrace this and take this in. Look at verse number seven again. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I'd like for you to look a little deeper at that word in vain. My heart has been consumed with this in our church, especially recently, to a greater degree because we are seeing so much of this happen in our churches in this generation. Taking the name of God in vain. I want to make the most of what I I have in the message this afternoon by showing you this word take and this word vain. The word take, look at it in verse number seven. The word take has a very simple but very broad meaning. It means to take it up in its most simple understanding. It's the same word that would be used in other places in the Old Testament to mean lift up or to bear up. 
In one place in the Old Testament, it is the word that was used to describe the ark that was raised but when, the, when the floods began to fall from the sky, the firmament was broken and the deeps were broken up. It was the same word that was used when the ark was being raised by the water. The idea is that we have taken the name of God into our possession and we are raising that name. We are exalting that name. We are worshiping in that name. And anything less than that becomes vain. Vain. Genesis chapter 7, verse number 17 tells us about it. John chapter 3, verse 14 said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you see the idea behind that? When Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 14 to Nicodemus, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent, and he, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So it is all of our responsibility to raise his name to exalt his name. As our eyes are lifted up to him, do we praise his name and raise his name as we should. The word vain, obviously, in verse number seven means empty. When we speak of a word as being used in vain, it means we have used that word without a thought for its meaning. We have used that word without an estimation of its value. We have used that word without an estimation of its worth. In other contexts, the word was used to describe a desolate place. It describes a wilderness. It describes an empty desert, a vain place, a desolate place. In other words, the idea is this. When you take the name of the Lord, are you doing it with emptiness or are you doing it with meaning? If you're not doing it with meaning... You're doing it in vain. And neighbor, listen to me carefully. God will not hold you guiltless. We're in a different venue. I think I'm going to start calling Bible Baptist Church the church in exile. Every time I come and preach in this church, they're in a different location. A bunch of Babylonians, I guess, are surrounded. Thank God for the place that they have this year. Wonderful accommodations. But, but generally, when we come into a meeting like this, we would pick up a hymn book. And we would open that hymn book and there we would sing about the name of Jesus. And I wonder how many people have been guilty of opening those hymn books and singing in the name of Christ and never taking into estimation what you're singing about, what you're saying, the spirit behind what is said, the joy that is woven into those words. Listen to me, neighbor. If you sing a song about the name of Jesus and it is meaningless to you, you've taken God's name in vain. Matter of fact, I didn't come to meddle about this stuff, but everything that God puts his name on is to be taken seriously. This right here is God's word. You open up this book with no sense of worth. You open up this book for only academic purposes. You open up this book with no respect, with no sense of gratitude, with no sense of, uh, with no sense of appreciation, and you read from this book. Listen to me, neighbor. God put his name on that book. It's never called the Bible inside of the pages of the Scripture. It's always called the Word of God. It is God's Word. It is to be taken seriously. 
I, I could go on and on and on concerning this subject. Let me just say this. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. There are some places that belong to God. He put his name on that place. Matter of fact, he said, when it's time to come pay your taxes, they said to Jesus, are you going to pay your taxes? He said, tell me who the superscription, the bust of that image is on that coin. And they said, it's Caesar. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God. Listen to me carefully. There are some things that belong to Caesar. Other things belong to God. Caesar has no business telling us how to do the things that belong to God. That's not, that doesn't belong to Caesar. Caesar doesn't have any right to tell us how to run our churches. This church belongs to God. The government doesn't have the authority to tell us how to worship God. Amen. Are you listening to me this morning? I'm telling you, this is God's house. It is not the government's house. It is God's house. It belongs to him. It has been purchased by him. Jesus said it shall be called a house of prayer. Don't dare make it a den of thieves. That's God's book right there. When someone opens that book and preaches that book and you do not engage in what is being said, you've taken God's name in vain. When you come to this place and you fight with your wife all the way here and you kick the dog on the way out the door and you cuss every red light you run through and you, if you're not cussing, you're horn cussing people on the way to church and then you walk into church and put on a big smile and act like everything's fine but you can't worship during the singing, you can't worship during the preaching, you've taken God's name in vain. And God will not hold you guiltless. How about this one? God's man. God's man. Paul called Timothy the man of God. Over and over and over again, we're reminded of Old Testament men that were owned by God. They were not the world's men. They were God's men. They were not ladies' men. They were God's men. They were not money men. They were God's men. And you better listen to me carefully, neighbor. You misuse the man of God. God, amen. God will not hold you guiltless for mistreating his man. He put his name on that man. That is God's man. He does not belong to you. He belongs to God. You better be careful about how you talk to him. I would say that the misuse of preachers in this generation is one venue of taking God's name in vain that we have run the course of so often and so many times in our churches that God has lifted his hand off of entire congregations because of how they treated his man. He said, I put my name on that man. You better be careful of how you treat him. Here's another one. It's the Lord. Uh, uh, Brother Floor last night talking about I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Listen, there is a day of designation that belongs to God. You mistreat that day, you've taken God's name in vain. You mistreat this book, you've taken God's name in vain. You mistreat the man of God, you've taken God's name in vain. You, you make light of the house of God, you've taken God's name in vain. But here's what we're doing in this generation. We mechanically open our Bibles. We mechanically open our 
We, amen. We mechanically open our Bibles. We mechanically open our songbooks without any thought, without any, without any sense, of, uh, sense of obligation, without any sense of emotion, without any sense of, without any sense of being, needing to be changed by what we're about to hear. And we walk right through a service and we're sitting on the pew. We're figuring up our bowling average. We're updating our Facebook page. We're throat, we're throat, amen. Y'all don't dial me now. We're, we're flipping through Twitter, wondering what's happening with the IFB, the new IFB. We're talking about all that kind of stuff when we're coming to the house of God instead of talking about the God of his house. And we are often very, very guilty of taking God's name in vain. I enjoy talking about football as much as anybody else, but I'll tell you something. I'd much rather talk about Jesus than the Georgia Bulldogs on Sunday morning. You listening? God will not hold you guiltless for using his name in vain. In fact, this is what he said through Moses when he gave him the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4 through verse number 6. He said it this way, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The tetragrammaton, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with, listen to this, all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Do I sound like I just walked into a cave or what? What just happened right there? If that gets too bad, just shut me off right here and I'll take this microphone here. Wow. What happened right there? I think it's the Russians. The Russians. God said that when we worship him, we are to worship him with all of our heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Listen to me carefully. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And if that is the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin must be not to do that. We have taken his name in vain more often than I'm afraid we know. Verse number seven, once again, and I'm closing. In verse number seven, the name that is used with liability. The Bible says at the end of verse number seven, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. God has said, you come to worship. You get your worship in order by commandment. Once your worship is ordered by commandment, y'all with me this afternoon? Once your worship is ordered by commandment, and worship should be ordered by commandment. Amen. Worship is always in order by commandment. We are commanded to worship. We are commanded to praise. We are commanded to take his name. We are commanded to exalt his name. And when we not do so, when we do not do so, we are breaking the commandments. I want to share you four or five thoughts, and I'm closing the message here. I want to share four or five thoughts with you of the average causes that I see of people that come into the church that I pastor, maybe the church that you pastor, the churches that I preach in, everywhere that I go, reasons why Christians are taking God's name in vain. They cannot worship. They cannot truly glean from the Word of God. They're taking God's name in vain, number one, because they're preoccupied by their problems. Some of you will come into this meeting and you, you cannot worship. You have not yet turned loose and released the break because you're thinking about your problems the whole time that you're here. 
Your problems have robbed you of taking the name of God and exalting the name of God. Listen, worry robs us of our worship of God. When we enter into God's house on the Lord's day and leave and bring in all of the issues with us instead of leaving them outside so that we can focus entirely on the Lord who has saved us. Our problems are robbing us of worship. Number two, and secondly, not only are we preoccupied with problems, but secondly, we are satisfied in sin. When you tell people you love the Lord and you don't live like you're loving the Lord, you're using His name in vain. We've all been in services where worship was obviously being carried out by someone who was not right with God. And it becomes obvious that there is a, there is a shallowness. There is, a, there is an emptiness in what they're saying. You know why drums make so much noise? Because they're hollow inside. And I've heard some people that make a lot of noise in church. And they're just as empty as a drum. Their worship is not full. They haven't taken into consideration or estimation the God that they are worshiping and they are satisfied in their sinful ways and their disobedience has made their worship disingenuous. Number three, help me on this one. We are preoccupied with problems and many times it causes us to take God's name in vain. We are satisfied in sin and then thirdly, we are enamored by entertainers. Well, you talk about empty worship. Worship can quickly become vain when we seek to be entertained. Herod stands Jesus in front of him and says, and I think there's a lot of reasons why Jesus was quiet in front of Herod. One reason is, is because Herod had just, had, just, uh, had just beheaded John the Baptist. He cut off God's message to him, and Jesus had nothing else to say to him when he misused his man. As soon as Herod misused John the Baptist, Jesus cut him off. He had nothing else to say to him. But I'm going to tell you another reason why Jesus said nothing to Herod is because Herod wanted him to do a miracle. He wanted a little pony act. He wanted him to do a little play for him. He wanted him to carry out some drama for him. And when people want drama and a play and they want someone to entertain them, Jesus is silent. He has nothing to say to the church that seeks entertainment. We are consumed with covetous. We are impressed with an image. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 15, verse 8 and verse number 9? This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He followed that statement with this in verse number 9. In vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me. And then here's the last one. I'll close the message with this thought. Very simple. Obstructions of offenses. Too many people do not worship in our churches today because they are offended at somebody else in the church. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually said, if you've got an offense against some other brother in the church, you actually need to leave your, you leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with your brother so you can worship and sacrifice and give more fully, more effectively without vanity. You're not to do that empty. You're not to do that without meaning, without estimation. If you have an offense, you should settle that offense so you can worship God in the fullness that he deserves. How long has it been since you really worshiped? I mean, really, genuinely, with all of your heart, you poured yourself into a sermon. You poured yourself into a song. You poured yourself into a service. And you really, genuinely worshipped. 
Oftentimes, the reason why we do not is because we've taken the Lord's name in vain. And I, I hate to close the message on a negative note, but I remind you again, God will not hold you guiltless. Listen, if this meeting comes and goes, if this meeting runs its course and it comes and goes and you did not worship, if this meeting comes and goes and we give in the offering and Bible Baptist finances and all of these preachers have taken their time and in all of the preparation and the singers that have come, we have a venue for worship this week. And if you choose not to do that, it's not God because God did not deserve it. It's because something is wrong in your heart. I'd hate to know that I left this service and God said, you sat among a congregation of people and even you yourself, you took my name in vain. I gave you an opportunity to worship and you did not. You were quiet. You sat there like a church mouse. When things were happening for the glory of God, you didn't give God the glory for that. And then there are some people that they just won't worship because they, all, they want all the glory for themselves. You remember when Herod gave that speech in the book of Acts, Brother, Brother Willette, when Herod gave that speech in the book of Acts and the people said he speaks like a God and all of a sudden the worms broke out of his body and the worms ate him in front of all of the people? God will not share his glory with you. Be careful that you do not take his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day that you have blessed us to be with your people. We ask that you would use what has been said for your glory and for the purpose that is only yours. We give ourselves entirely to you once again today that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We give this entirely once again to you today in the name that is above every name, in Jesus' name. Amen.